0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Kickstarter Spotlight episode, and today we're going to be talking about a, a really interesting campaign that is uh, ongoing right now. It is fully funded. It wasn't necessarily when we, when we set this up, but it has been fully funded now. So uh, I'm inviting to the show one of the creators, the, the writer of that project. Uh, she's a longtime comic veteran who's done everything from art directing to lettering to writing. Uh, design, all kinds of stuff. So we're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about the Kickstarter uh, specifically. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time, Erica Schultz. Erica, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great uh, to to sit here and, and talk about this uh, interesting project that you have. And I want to get into how sort of next door neighbor kind of, you know, everyday feel it has juxtaposed against this sort of crazy Nazi world that you've uh, uh, brought us to. But before we get into that, you know, it is your first time in the show and I, I do, you have such an eclectic career. You've done everything, as I mentioned, art directing and, and design and some illustrating and now you're more on the writing side of things. So um, can you kind of give us just, you know, briefly, I'm sure you've told the story a thousand times, kind of how you went from, you know, art directing at Neil Adams continuity to where you are now with stops along the way of DC writing workshop and, and whatnot. It's been a, an interesting path you've taken.
1: Yeah, well, um, I was an art director at an ad agency, um, and I started working at uh, Continuity Studios in New York in 2008, and I was a uh, Photoshop artist and animator for the Astonishing X-Men motion comic, Gifted. And after uh, after Gifted uh, took off, because there were six um, episodes that we were doing, uh, I stayed on at the studio doing uh, commercial animation, um, you know, inking backgrounds, drawing backgrounds, doing like digital cleanups, lettering, color assists, pretty much everything. Um, I, I consider myself a serviceable artist. I don't consider myself necessarily a good artist, um, which is why I focus more on on writing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've done writing mostly um, for. DC, Marvel, uh, Image, Dynamite, Red 5, um, <laughs> pretty much uh, King Features, uh, pretty much um, most of the major publishers. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm also an editor at Mad Cave Studios uh, and I'm a writing instructor at the Kubert School.
0: So, you know, starting with that sort of visual visual storytelling background, you know, as an art director and then working in animation. Do you feel like that really suited you when you you said, okay, I'm going to kind of not, and it may not have even been a conscious decision. I'm going to transition over into the writing aspect. Do you feel like, you know, the fact that you started out so so much on the visual side of of storytelling, do you think that that helped make you a better writer in the long run?
1: Oh, I think the more, because comics are so collaborative and there are so many um, different aspects of it, you know, there's so many different roles to making a comic. Um, I think the more you've done each of those roles, the better you will be at whatever one you focus at. So I've been an editor, editor, letterer, writer, inker, um, you know, background artist, colorist, whatever. Um, and I think that when I focus on writing, I think having done all those other things makes me a better writer in general. Um, At the Kubert School, most of the students there are focused very much on the art. And um, one of the major assignments that I have them do is they have to write a script. And I said, Look, you know, if you never write a script in your entire life ever again, you've had that experience, you've walked in someone else's shoes. And I think that that is going to make you a better storyteller, a better artist in general.
0: Yeah, it's really, really good advice. Um, And I think it applies to a lot of industries. It doesn't happen maybe in a lot of other other industries, but yeah, I mean, walk, walking a, a mile in someone else's shoes, you know, just life in general, I think is a very good lesson. It, it engenders empathy and understanding, and ultimately, like you said, comics are such a collaborative process. When you get a team that understands each other and uh, works together well, the story and the and the project only benefits from that, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Now, uh, I, I did mention uh, this, this project that you have uh, ongoing at, at Kickstarter, Deadliest Bouquet. Um, so can you give everybody sort of the elevator pitch of what the uh, original idea is and then maybe talk about, uh, you, know, you know, being that you have been a writer for so long now, I'm sure you have t- tons of ideas. What made this the right project to, to do a Kickstarter and, and to crowdfund?
1: Um, okay, so the logline for it is in 1998, three estranged sisters trained by their Nazi hunting mom uh, reunite after their mother's murder and try not to kill each other in the process. Um, so the the story, everybody's really caught up on the whole Nazi hunting thing. We don't, I mean, we'll see Nazis being killed in this in flashbacks, but it's not like Nazis in 1998, you know, kind of thing. Um, it, it it basically uh, has a lot to do with these three sisters, their relationships to each other and to their mom. And their, you know, their mom having a really crazy childhood, you know, being brought up in this sort of cadre of like, you know, black ops kind of, you know, post-war craziness of traveling around the world, finding anyone who escaped uh, before the end of World War II. And then these girls, these young women being brought up in this, you know, after after suffering a family tragedy, their mother deciding that like, this is the way that they're gonna be raised as well. Um, the idea I was sort of kicking around for a few years and um, uh, just before COVID, we had had a publisher actually uh, involved, but then COVID hit and that obviously sort of derailed things. Um, so I had because I had been kicking around the story for so long, and I had sort of tried to attack it from multiple aspects. Um, I I had a lot of false starts, and that's where um, the editor, our editor James Emmett, came in and really helped. So when the publisher had to back out because of COVID, uh, James and I had a really long conversation, and you know, part of me was thinking, you know, obviously, in you know. 15, 16 months ago, we didn't know how long this whole situation would last. So, you know, part of me thought, oh, let's just wait it out. Um, and James, who has had a lot of successes with Kickstarter, with um, the company 451 and also with, um, uh, with I Am Hexed, which is a story that he's he edits, um, he said, you know, I, I think we can definitely do this on Kickstarter. So I kind of, you know, went back and forth about it um, and I ended up saying, okay, yeah, let's do it because I had been sort of working on the story on and off for a long time. And I figured that if I put it down again, then it's just going to be another three, four years before I pick it up again. So why not just do it now? You know what I mean? Um, So we did that. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we did get fully funded um, about a week ago and uh, we're hopefully moving towards stretch goals. Um, I haven't, I haven't been obsessively checking the Kickstarter whether that's good or bad, um, but I think we're about five hundred dollars away from uh, our first stretch goal, which we're doing a full paper upgrade, cover upgrade, and stuff. Um, and then, at if we hit twenty four thousand, then we're going to have a new print uh, by artist Adriana, Adriana Mello, and um, and that'll go out to all the um, all the backers at the uh, physical tier and up
0: that's that's fantastic uh and i love adriana's art i i love i fell in love with her uh she when she did plastic man with gail simone yes. I, I just fell yes. in love with her, her work i have
1: there. over my shoulder i have uh an adriana piece right there the um winter soldier i have the original i know that she sells that as a print but i have the original piece
0: oh that's that's fantastic yeah uh, and that, that kind of brings me to to uh, my next point you know you mentioned james your editor but when we're talking about the the actual creatives involved in the book, this is a this is an all female team, right? Um, can you talk about yeah, who, have... your, uh, who your collaborators are on the on the um, on the the project? And also, did you purposely, because you're telling a, a female centric story, did you purposely want to bring on female uh, collaborators?
1: Um, I try and bring on as many marginalized creators as possible for any project that I'm doing, whether it is uh, female creators, non-binary creators, women of color. Um, the people from the LGBTQ community. Um, I, I try and, and make sure that if I'm in a position that I can um, pick a team, I'm going to try and fill the team with competent and good people who might not always get a first look. Um, Carola Burley, I had been um, I had uh, been familiar with her work from uh, a book called Destiny New York, uh, done by Pat Chand and um, I had done a short in Destiny New York with uh, Natasha Alterici a few years ago, and so I was, you know, still following the series. And uh, I really, I saw Carola's work. I thought she had really great, nice, clean lines. I just finished working with Marika Cresta on Forgotten Home, uh, and everybody jokes that I'm always working with Italian artists. <laughs> um so uh so I I you know reached out to Krilla and I asked about um, you know, time frame because, you know, you're doing a five uh, chapter story, you know, 120 page OGN. That's a good six, seven months of someone's life. So you really want to make sure that they have the um they have the time in their schedule to, to sort of block out. And Gab Contreras and I uh have known each other for a while and worked together. And uh I I reached out to Gab to find out um what her availability was. Um, Gab has this you know I was talking to another artist about this recently this idea of a lot of times when people color they tend to over render things and everything kind of looks like really shiny and plastic Mm -hmm. you know like even even people's faces like every highlight on their face is like a really like a hot white light kind of thing Um, and and Gab doesn't over render work also Gab is 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 really good at sort of looking at the line work and and the vibe of the story and everything and seeing what works. So if you look at you know three different books that Gab's done, it might look like three different styles, but each of those styles is, um, is matched to the style of the artwork, the style of the line work uh, and the mood of the book. Um, and I think Gab really does bring a lot to the table with that, um, the ability to sort of switch gears. And because we're telling a non-linear story And we have a lot of these flashbacks that come up being able to say, okay, this is our present, you know, 1998 has a very sort of specific color palette. So this is our present, you know, then we're going back to, you know, 1972, 73, that has a very specific color palette, you know, and and being able to make everything sort of look seamless, even though we're jumping from place to place and time to time.
0: Yeah. And it is so, so interesting. The fact that you are doing this, you know, as one big story, you mentioned a hundred and twenty-page original graphic novel, as opposed to you know putting out in issues where, you know, maybe with some time in in between issues and and telling that chunk of the story, you know, you, things may change just you know organically as as you know the the creative process, the story, you know, may change or or whatnot. The longer it, it sort of lives, you know, just like you said, if you hadn't done it at this time and put it down three or four years, come back to it, you know, things may change because. You know, from from your experiences, you may put something different into it, but you're, you guys are doing it all together as, as sort of one project here. And you you mentioned the Nazi hunters and, you know, we mentioned it's a, a female creative team. It's a female cast of characters. Um, is this really a, a story about rel- relationships that just so happens that, hey, they had this sort of, I guess, non-traditional upbringing, <laughs> we'll say, with this Nazi hunter mother but it really seems like in, in reading the, the little bios that you have on the Kickstarter page, that this is really a story about familiar relationships, the relationships with sisters, which are, you know, I can speak from experience, very different but than a relationship between a brother and a sister or um, uh, a daughter and a mother. Um, and how much have you drawn from your own experiences in your life with your relationships to bring this story to life?
1: I think, you know, every story that's told has sort of like a singular word, and then, you know, the trappings around, you know. So this story is about relationships. Absolutely. That's sort of like the the, the singular word, the through line. Um, and it's about these three women and how they relate to each other, how they related to their mom, how their mother related to the grandmother, you know, and and it's it's really sort of three generations of, of family and and three generations of Um, sort of like, uh, like you said, unconventional upbringing kind of thing, unorthodox upbringing. Um, And it really has to do with um, this idea of what happens when there is loss. Everybody deals with loss and grief in their own way. Um, And you have these three sisters that have very distinct personalities. But if you look at them, they're all on the same scale. Like if you've ever seen like an old school audio board, where you have all the the knobs that you can turn up and mm-hmm. down. They're all on the same line. You know, Violet is, you know, all the way to 11, you know, whereas Poppy is more at like a six and Rose is more at like a three, but they all have sort of the same, um, th- they have the the capacity to have, you know, to go crazy like Violet. Violet has the capacity to pull it back, you know. So they, as as much as they are different, they are still very similar. And um, and I want to make sure that everything that they do, they stay on that track. You know, I think that's very important for characters to to be consistent. Um, because I think what happens sometimes when you're reading a story or you're watching a film or watching a TV show, a character will do something completely out of character, because the writer sort of wrote themselves into a corner, and you need to you need to find a way to make something happen, right. um, as opposed to building toward that. So showing the fact that these three sisters had a very unconventional upbringing how they each dealt with that in their own personal way how they are each dealing with their the loss of their mother in their own personal way and also how they're dealing with being back together because violet went off and flew to europe and has been doing all kinds of stuff poppy went off and went to california has a husband and kids and rose although she stayed home she still had like okay this is my little this is my little world so even though Rose was the one who stayed home, she still sort of built her own little world. Now Rose has to deal with her two sisters coming back into her world and having to take responsibility for them being the oldest. Poppy has to worry about having to take orders from her older sister, uh, but also having to keep her husband and children at arm's length because she doesn't want them to know the the true uh, depth of dysfunctionality of her family. And Violet thinking great i'm the youngest everybody's gonna crap on me because i'm the baby (laughs) and i've been on my own for you know the past five seven years i'm gonna come back and it's just gonna be you know bottom rung on the totem pole again when i've been independent this whole time so they each have their own hang-ups coming back together and so they're gonna have to, to to navigate that on top of this whole m- murder mystery of mom's dead, we're going to investigate it. We're going to let the cops do their thing, but we're also going to do our own little investigation.
0: Yeah. Well, I, again, t- to reference a little bios, you know, we, we have Violet, uh, European model and, and hit woman, you know, right away. Yeah. You're, like, you're like pulled into that. Um, you know, you hear the Nazi her thing, but um, and wh- I don't think a lot of us can probably relate to that, you know. Certainly, my family doesn't have a history hunting Nazis uh, or living a jet set model life. Uh, but something you said, nor that, mine, but <laughs> but but something you said that I think is sort of our our way in because you, you know writing and telling interesting stories is all about putting ordinary people in, in extraordinary circumstances. Um, And yeah, we may not all have these trappings and, and relate to this unconventional or unorthodox upbringing. But I think so many of us can relate to loss, right? Whether it's the loss of uh, a parent, a sibling, a friend, um, or- A mentor. A, a mentor, or even the loss of of something like losing friends because you've moved or relocated or just lost touch. Um, and so I I think it's really important to sort of explore that. And obviously, if you do it with uh, these other things, as you, you say, surrounding that relationship, to use the keyword, surrounding that story of relationship with all these interesting- flashbacks and cool stories and and action then you know there is that surface layer that we can enjoy as entertainment but there's something later that we can come back to so uh we're going to get plenty of of action and we're going to get plenty of mystery to go along with the the relationship core correct
1: yeah you're going to see the sisters beat the crap out of other people don't worry <laughs> I know, like that's like the big thing, but 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 there is a balance. Like you're going to see the sisters beating the crap out of people, but you're also going to see them crying on each other's shoulder. You're also going to see them angry with each other. You're also going to see them fighting with their mother in flashbacks. You're also going to see them training and being um, being pushed to to the brink and and having a responsibility put on them that they are not ready to take on just as jasmine their mother had a responsibility that she was not ready to take on at the time um so yeah i mean it's there's like you said there's there's this one thing it's about relationships it's about grief it's about loss on the backdrop of this murder mystery so it's kind of like knives out except if you've seen knives out you know who 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 done it in the beginning right this, we're, we're sort of walking our way slowly um, to ultimately reveal who killed mom at the end. Um, but another thing is a reason why I wanted to uh, place it in 1998 was uh, a, a few, there were a few reasons that, that really sort of struck me was, the first is that I wanted to anchor it back to World War II in terms of plausibility, in terms of timeline, in terms mm-hmm. of age, but also um, I didn't want the murder mystery to be so easy to solve because everybody's walking around with a computer in their pocket. Right, right. You know, um, I wanted the mystery to be able to be drawn out of it. Um, and the entirety of the story, not including the flashbacks, um, it starts on a Saturday uh, on a, on a late Saturday night and it ends on an early Saturday morning. So the entire story takes place in one week. Fantastic. Like the core story of 1998 right. takes place in a week. So, what I've done is I've really taken this one whole week and sort of spread it out and drawn it out as much as I can, where it still is compelling, but we also still see where everybody's coming from. We see Rose's investigation and Poppy and and uh, the cops, and what Violet's doing to, to try and figure out what's going on. And amongst that, we see how mom was not always the nicest mom sometimes, and how, you know, because she was um, uh, raised a certain way, she, you know, for good or for ill treated her own daughters that same way and was very hard on them and how each of the girls will, um, will deal with that, not only in their teenage years, but how they're dealing with that as adults as well. Because, I mean, that, that trauma doesn't just magically go away once mom dies, you know, I mean, because that's something that's foundational, you know, and they build their lives on top of all the stuff that, that was already there.
0: Right. And then there's the whole thing of them having to actually, you know, deal with the loss and, and come to terms. And, you know, certainly I, I can't speak from experience, but I, I know people who they have conflicted feelings when they lose a parent, when the relationship wasn't the best, you know, when times yeah. weren't always great, it's
1: because yeah.
0: the emotions are still there. But then in your head, you're like, well, you know, we didn't have the best uh, relationship. Uh, the other part of the story that you mentioned, you know, being sort of nonlinear with these flashbacks, um, how challenging was that? Because I, I also imagine over the course of this week, we are going to see, going back to the idea of relationships, we are going to see growth and change in these relationships between these sisters as they come to terms with the, the loss of their mother. So how challenging is it to make sure that we're getting the evolution of character for these three sisters, but also we've got the flashbacks that makes it nonlinear? Was that a challenge for you or, or did, you, uh, did you have a handle on it right away?
1: Um, I tend to write a lot of nonlinear stories to begin with. Um, I like, you know, I'll sort of write, you know, your A to B, B to C kind of thing. And then I want to fill in, you know, so you see what happens, but then you, f- you fill in any gaps with context. Hmm. So we have these, you know, one to two, maybe even three panels of flashback to then fill in the context. And then as the start as the story progresses, you you start to expect these flashbacks to even add even more context, to show another perspective, show another point of view. Um, and also, I mean, we change as as human beings, you know, who you were when you were a seven-year-old is different from who you were when you were a 15-year-old, when you were 20-year-old, 25, 30, whatever. So seeing the sisters evolve from, you know, you know, being 12, 13 years old when they started training to now being, you know, at Rose was about 12 or 13 when she started training and now she's 28, you know, to see the steps, not just going 12 to 28, but see the steps in between, you know, I think is important um, because I think it's, I think it sort of softens the curve as opposed to just two separate points in time. And also not just seeing her as she was in this different sp- spots in between, but seeing her interactions with people in the different spots in between. So what was her interactions with her mom at 16? What were her interactions with her sisters at 19? What were her, in- you know, that kind of thing, because that also gives context. It's not just here's Rose writing in her diary at the age of 12. Here's Rose writing in her diary at the age of 16, And sort of filling in the blank expositionally. But we're seeing the relationship. We're seeing, you know, I mean, these women were put through physical. um, We will see these women being put through physical trials, for lack of a better term. And some people might look at this and be like, that's child abuse. It comes pretty damn close. I'm going to be I'll be frank, you know, and you'll see how the sisters, how each of the girls reacts to that who hardens first? You know, I know if I tell my mom that my hand is bleeding from punching this bag, she's going to tell me to toughen up. So how many punches am I going to get through before I cry? Or how many punches do I get through and I just start biting my lip harder?
0: So interesting. Coming from a family of, uh, I have two brothers and three sisters, so very large family. We're all very different. Most of us very different. And yeah, how I'm just thinking back on the how differently re-reacted to the, you know, being put in the same situation, how the way I would react versus my brothers and sisters and that sort of thing. So, so interesting. Uh, go, going back to your, uh, your, your, artistic collaborators on, on the book, uh, Corolla and Gab, um, you know, you talked about setting it in 1998 for, you know, specific reasons of, of lengthening the mystery, but also having a certain look. Um, when it came to designing the, the look of the world and, and the look of the sisters, the characters in the book, was there a lot of back and forth between you and Corolla? Did you just, you know, give her the script, you know, brief descriptions and said, go for it. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that collaboration. And then um, for Gab, was there, you know, kind of the same thing? Did she nail the kind of the tone and the the nuance of the world with the color first, or was there some back and forth there?
1: Um, I I, I'm, I'm much older than, than Carola and Gab and I, you know, they may have been around in 1998, but I mean, I was going on 22 years old, 21, 22. Um, so what I did was I pulled a lot of reference. Um, I, I tend to, I pull reference for artists, not as an edict, but as a guide. Um, so I pulled a lot of reference. Um, I, you know, depending on uh, my, my processes, depending on what the artist is comfortable with, I will like create Pinterest boards, or I will set up Dropbox files or whatever. Um, and so I pulled a lot of reference in terms of, you know, the style of clothing for particular characters, um, the, you know, color palettes. Yeah, I mean, and looking at the clothing will show you sort of a palette for the um for the 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 time period to begin with not just the the physical color of the clothing but a lot of those catalog shoots it'll show you environments and things like that so Um, I think that old catalogs like old clothing catalogs like old Macy's or JCPenney or whatever is actually really great because it shows you sort of attitudes and environments and things like that, um, that that sort of help inform uh, the visual presentation of the story. So I pulled a lot of reference for both uh, Corolla and Gab, and um, I don't want to forget talking about Kevin Wada, who's the cover artist. Kevin is fantastic. And when starting on, uh, when starting on the story, I sort of described it as, um, clueless meets singles meets law and order. Um, and if you're not familiar with singles, it was a a film back in the early, um, to mid nineties. And, and Kevin really just took that and, you know, with the sort of like poppy kind of, um, not the character, but you know, pop is in pop art, you know, aesthetic and colors and stuff and really um, just made the cover just make your eyes explode in a great way. Um, and I think that once we had that cover as well, that really helped Gab sort of see a little more of the the, the color palette and everything. And with each sister sort of having their own uh, phys- not just looking physically different, but having their own sort of like style and palette really worked.
0: Yeah. When it comes to drawing fashion in comic art, I feel like Kevin is like the pinnacle him, him and Jen Bartel. They, they yeah. just, they nail it. Um, you don't, I mean,
1: you're not getting better than
0: yeah, that. Exactly. Exactly. And having lived through the nineties, yeah, I mean, that cover, it does very much feel it reminds me of that of that era, so bright colors and, and neon and everything. And and we do very distinctly on the cover get different looks for each of the sisters. And they sort of seem to kind of match up with if you read the bios, you can kind of see, you know, OK, well, that suits, uh, you know, if, if more of a housewife feel or more of a, a model feel. You know, so I, I think you, you really nailed uh, nailed the look as far as uh, any visual collaboration that informed the story. Um, you work from full scripts. Do you go back after you get the visuals and then, uh, put the dialogue in what's your usual process?
1: Um, I always do full scripts unless, um, I've worked with the artist multiple times before. Um, but I usually do full scripts. And then after I get, um, the art back, I will, uh, re-dialogue, um, just to, you know, just to sort of go over and say, okay, um, you know, there's not enough room in this in this uh, panel for all of this. And also the, the artwork itself is conveying more of a message. I don't have to be so expositional. Let me cut that out. Um, and I'm lettering the book myself. So uh, it, it helps that I can just sort of revise on the fly and go, you know, and go through it as a, you know, as I'm going along. But I do think that that working full script is important in general, um, especially if you've never worked with an artist before uh just because there's there's a lot to be gleaned from the dialogue uh that if you know you're I I don't like to sort of over art direct panel descriptions so I think that you know a snarky line of dialogue is going to give a lot of information as well in terms of the attitude of the character and sort of their body language and things like that um and so uh you know, I mean, I'll I'll re dialogue anyway, just because I'm a control freak and a perfectionist. Um, but I do think that uh, that working from full script is is you know pretty pretty important. If you've worked with an artist multiple times before, like uh, Claire Connolly and I have worked together multiple times, you know, I'll I'll work what's called marble style, which is you know just basically sort of like a rough outline kind of thing or breakdowns. Um, you know, that's that's I think different if if you know. Also, I mean, that's on smaller projects. It's not on, you know, 120 right. page book. Um, if it was like a one shot, then maybe, you know, but, uh, but being, you know, a, a significant uh, thing, a significant uh, tome. Uh, I don't think working, you know, Marvel style would have would have really worked out.
0: Yeah. Like you said, it, it is a, a more lengthy, lengthy story. And I, I totally agree with you if, if it's somebody you haven't worked with as opposed to somebody you worked with extensively, you may be able to do something like that on a, on a larger project, you know, work from that, just that description, they give you the story, and then you can go back and, and put the dialogue in. Um, in. In speaking about how, how large this project is, um, just so everybody kind of understands in terms of timing, if they choose to join the campaign, is is everything completely finished? or Are you guys still working on, on uh, producing the, the project?
1: Um, chapters one and two are done. Um, We're currently working on chapter three. Uh, Chapter four is written. Uh, Chapter five is tight outlined. So, I mean, I can be with the outline being uh, mostly the outline does the heavy lifting for me. I could bang out a script in two days, you know. Um, And but obviously, you know, Carola has has to, you know, take more time on the work. Uh, But Carola and Gab are, are hard at work at the line art for chapter three. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to start the Kickstarter campaign with like three pages down and that right. was it. You know, when, even before we started and we sent the Kickstarter, we sent the first chapter out to um, multiple reviewers even before the Kickstarter campaign started and the first chapter was 100% complete. Um, so I wanted to, you know, as for lack of a better term, as like proof of concept to say, look, you know, we've got. A significant amount already done. I mean, we're more than tw- we're. The first chapter was twenty percent, so we're, you know, forty-five percent done already. Um, you know, knocking on wood because I don't want to jinx myself now. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I mean, the the story is we're on our we're on our way, kind of thing.
0: Fantastic. It's it's
1: getting done by hook or by crook. It's getting done. <laughs>
0: well, that's good. I mean, so many times, and and I'm not faulting anybody, or, or I don't want to, you know, point fingers, or because. Sometimes the simple fact is a writer is running the Kickstarter and they need those Kickstarter funds to pay the artist, you know, and so you know, and we don't want anybody working for free, so you know, but that's not the necessarily the situation here. You know, you guys are are well on your way, so uh, we'll probably get it before uh, before the year's out if you back it.
1: Our our um, we put down as January twenty twenty two just to cover ourselves. Gotcha. My my personal deadline is to get the books shipped. Um, by Christmas, by that sort of Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, you know, middle of, you know, middle to end December. That is my personal goal. Um, if that doesn't work, then, you know, right after New Year's. Um, but I'm very, very much hoping that that we hit that um, because I don't want to have, you know, giant stacks of boxes in my house for too long. <laughs> you know, I want them in and then out.
0: Right. Now, uh, is this the first Kickstarter campaign that you've run?
1: No, I ran a Kickstarter campaign with Claire Connolly for a book called Strange Tales uh, that was actually nominated for a 2020 Ringo Award for uh, Best Anthology. And we had um, three different stories. Uh, we had two stories that we had previously done, uh, Cheese a Love Story and the Unauthorized Biography of Winston Churchill, a documentary. Um, those two stories were that were put out were originally just black and white ink wash. Um, So we put out uh, Strange Tales, which was going to be those two stories colorized, which Gab was one of the colorists uh, that worked on it, and uh, a brand new story called Eve the Immortal Lobster. And uh, we put that book out and our Kickstarter was basically to cover the cost of the colorists and to uh, cover the cost of a print run. And uh, and I think our Kickstarter, I think it was fifty five hundred. I think was the Kickstarter, and we made our goal a little bit over. And uh, and yeah, and then you know, Gab, uh, Liana Kangas, and Matt Emmons were the three colorists uh, on that story on that book. They sort of each took you know a little bit of each one of those three stories. Um, and then uh, then the book came out, and uh, you know, it's a goofy, fun you know, don't take yourself very seriously stories, so.
0: Was there anything that's different about running this Kickstarter? Uh, obviously a, a, a larger project, have, have there been any challenges maybe that you didn't expect having run a, a, a successful one before? You're like, oh, hold on, I didn't have to deal with this last time.
1: Well, I mean, this, uh, the, um, the Strange Tales was about 88 pages total. So this is obviously a larger book. Um, it also has, you know, it's, it's not three separate stories. It's one continuous story. Um, and we are asking for more, we're asking for $20,000, which is going to help, uh, finish the book off and help, uh, with the print run. So, um, you know, it, it is a little more daunting. Also this is a 35 day campaign as opposed to just a 30 day campaign. Mm. Um, so it is a little more daunting. Um, and, you know, you're sort of watching the the pledges, you know, slowly sort of tick up. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think I think everything is pretty much the same just on scale. Right. So uh, so I sort of like prepared myself to say, OK, this is going to be bigger simply because of the, the amount of money that we're asking for. And it's a couple of days more. Um, but I mean, James really helped very much in the uh, sort of the pre-launch phase. And, you know, me talking to every single podcast under the sun. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think that, um, I think that, you know, we we had a really good, uh, we had a really good sort of pre-launch start. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, now that we've made our goal, thank God, you know, knocking on wood, um, we, we really, you know, it's now it's just, it's just gravy and, and hopefully getting to that Adriana Melloprint. print.
0: Yeah, have you enjoyed doing uh, all all kind of the interviews and talking about the story? And, and has it uh, in talking about it has it crystallized the story anymore for you in your mind?
1: Um, the story pretty much been set for a while now in terms of you know where it's going, so it hasn't really you know changed that. Um, I I like doing the podcasts. Um, it's just you know sometimes when you have three or four in one day yeah it can be a little exhausting um i was liking likening it to the uh when you know these actors are doing these press junkets for these big marvel movies or big dc movies and they're asked a lot of the same questions over and over again and i kind of feel like sometimes like, like verbatim, I'm almost repeating myself. Right. It's like, I, I don't mean to, but it's, you know, you sort of like get into like a track, you know? So, um, but I mean, it's, it's fun. And it's there, you know, I was introduced to a bunch of podcasts that I wasn't aware of having been, you know, booked on them. So now I'm going back and listening to previous episodes with other guests and things like that. So that's always great.
0: Yeah. I I, I always try to ask uh, different questions for exactly that reason, because I've heard the same thing. You know, you can only answer it so many times. So how did you learn yeah. to draw or how did you? Yeah, so I, I totally get it. Um, the other part of, of Kickstarter, as we all know, y- you launch and you get that initial bump. And there's a little bump at the end, too, when people kind of wait. Well, let me see if it gets funded before I... Which Everybody I never,
1: hits this like plateau.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. in, in the middle. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, doing some of these podcasts in the middle will... Uh, sort of spur some people when it kind of slows down in that that middle section to to go ahead and join up. So I'm going to remind everybody that uh, there's a link in the show notes where you can go and you can check out the Deadliest Bouquet uh, Kickstarter page. Uh, You have until June 15th at 9 a.m. Pacific time to join. It is fully funded, so you know you're going to get the book if you do join. And I'm also going to remind everybody, I'm sure that all my listeners get tired of hearing me say this, but... If the project is not for you, or you would love to join the campaign, but you don't have the means right now, the best thing you can do to help out Erica and the rest of her team is to please share it on social media. So we get as many eyes on this campaign as possible. And as many people see the project as possible, because they might have the means they might want to join and not see it. Otherwise, there's nothing worse, as I always say, than Finding out a campaign ended a week ago, and you would have loved to have been a part of it. So uh, I do encourage everybody to check it out. It sounds like a great project. And uh, if you can't, just uh, share it on social media. Um, Is there anything else you want to say about uh, Deadliest Bouquet, Erica? Because I do want to talk just very briefly about uh, Forgotten Home before I let you go.
1: I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, if you want to follow, uh, we have a Twitter um, at Deadly Underscore Bouquet on Twitter, and uh, at the Deadliest Bouquet Comic on Instagram. Uh, so our link is to the Kickstarter page is in the bio, uh, in for both of those social media accounts. And we have um, we'll be posting, you know, art tidbits and you know, fun little things, you know, throughout. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. And I'll put links to uh, both of those social media um, in, uh, accounts in the, in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, so I do, I do just want to talk a little bit about Forgotten Home uh, that's available on Comixology. Um, but sort of one last thing about Deadliest Bouquet. Have you uh, found so many artists and, and creators that I talk to that, that uh, go the crowdfunding route on Kickstarter really enjoy the community aspects and the fact that you've removed a lot of layers between the creative team and uh, the readers and the fans. Um, Have you found that to be the case with, with your project? And are you enjoying that aspect of it?
1: I do think that's, that's good. Um, I like the idea of having a direct line to fans and uh, finding new fans um, through, through the process. Um, On the other, on the other end, it would be nice to have like, you know, the marketing team of Warner brothers, right. me. <laughs> you know, that would have really helped. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a DIY gal to begin with. So, um, and James uh, Emmett really has been like, you know, incomparable in this whole situation um, in terms of, you know, we came up with a marketing plan and, you know, sort of like implementing it and everything and, and just sort of keeping, keeping pace with everything. So.
0: Fantastic. Uh, well, I did mention Forgotten Home, which is, I, I think you got nominated for, was it five? It was five uh, Ringo
1: Awards last yeah. year. Yes, it yeah. was Best Series, Best Writer, Best Letterer, Best Anchor, and Best Cover Artist. So uh, Natasha Altarici was the cover artist nominated. Marika Cresta was the anchor nominated. Cardinal Ray was the letterer. Myself is writer, and we were uh, nominated for Best Series. We technically led the Ringo Award nominations last year. I'm just going to put that out there.
0: Yeah, so congratulations on on that. Thank you. Obviously, this is a, a series that a lot of people uh, really enjoy, uh, and it's a very high quality. And so I, I, you know, I couldn't have you on and not mention it uh, in case our readers want uh, our listeners want to go and uh, and check out that as well. So, do you want to talk a little bit uh, about the series and uh, how the experience has been creating it and uh, and having so many people find it and enjoy it and, uh, and get the recognition that it's gotten?
1: Uh, well, Forgotten Home is an eight-issue mini series uh, about uh, a young woman named Lorraine, who is a sheriff's deputy and army veteran in uh, in Montana, um, and she begins to um, investigate a bunch of child abductions. And one thing that she notices about all the abduction sites is that there are remnants of magic at the abduction sites, and um, the magic is the only reason why she can see the magic is because Lorraine is not from here, so um the best way to describe it would be refugee alien princess uh becomes you know soldier and then cop on earth and then gets dragged back home when she learns that the uh, despot queen has been stealing children from earth to sort of uh to. Um, bolster the ranks of her child army.
0: And is is it fair to say that there are uh, questions of allegiance?
1: There are definitely questions of allegiance. Uh, definitely, because Lorraine's daughter is one of the kidnapping victims and um, Lorraine's daughter's best friend is one of the kidnapping victims. So this sort of back and forth of uh, her daughter, Joanna, where do I belong? You know, um, i always felt like a freak on earth and now i learn that this is where we're really from you know why did you keep this from me so there's again it's this you know relationship with uh between this daughter and her mother and then lorraine's relationship with her own mother um this sort of back and forth um and you know i i had a lot of fun writing it um because joanna's 15 years old and 15 year olds are like trying to you know nail jello to a wall. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the mood swings, you know, it took me back to my, to, to my old teenage years of, of being just so indecisive and nobody understands me and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but it, and it deals with a lot of different things. I mean, we have a very diverse cast. We have Um, a character who is openly pansexual, we have a character who is openly bisexual, we have a character who is uh, disabled, Um, we have multiple people of multiple ethnicities, we have different types of of species, and there's sort of like um, this sort of cultural racism against one of the specific species. That, uh, that we deal with in the story as well. So, I mean, it, it, ha- it deals with a lot of issues, um, but if you boiled it down to, you know, what's the entertainment aspect of it, it's uh, a refugee princess you know, gets sucked back into her home world to deal with some issues that she ran away from you know, 15 years earlier.
0: Well, I I haven't had a chance to read it. Obviously, I noticed it got so many nominations. It it is on my my list, which, you know, is a thousand miles long. But I I definitely want to check it out and maybe uh, share it with my daughter. She's only nine. It sounds like it might be a little. But she's like nine going on 17, if you know that.
1: You know, there's there's nothing really uh, in terms of uh, sexuality. There's nothing overt. There's no nudity in it. Um, There is. But there is, you know people like openly kissing and you know having relationships yeah,
0: yeah. she's yeah she's all she's all over that we we okay not to, Are, not, to, you know, not to sound too like pc or liberal but she's you know we're we're pretty woke i guess you'd say you know um,
1: i will i always tell parents you know whenever someone like i have a horror book called 12 devils dancing that has you know nudity that has body horror that has all this stuff in it um so when people say oh what is this i say it's a horror thriller so it's a murder mystery but it's also got horror elements of it oh my kid watches horror all the time i'm like okay well if you want to buy it for your kid that's that's on you right but i'm asking you to flip through it first right you know there is nudity there is body horror there is you know things like that that you know, if your kid watches Monster Squad, which is a horror movie, yeah. you know, it's
0: not the same, it's
1: not the same. Right. So, you know, I, I, I never tell a parent, you know, what their kid is going to be into and what is they're not, because I don't know your kid and I'm, that's not my place to do that. Right. But I would just say, you know, I don't want to get any angry emails. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, so 100%. read it first. And if you think that it's appropriate for you know, whatever age your, your child is, then, then go for it. You know, your kid way better than anybody else. Um, it's a Comixology original exclusive. Uh, if you have Comicsology unlimited or Kindle unlimited, you actually get it for free. Uh, otherwise uh, it's the whole eight issues, which is like 208 pages or something ridiculous. Um, that is uh 699 on Comixology.
0: Yeah. I'll definitely, I'll definitely have to check it out. It, it definitely sounds up her alley. So uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to read a little bit of it and see if it's a, if it's suitable for her. And
1: and the um the royal mark that everybody has, I have tattooed on my arm. So
0: that's fantastic. That's part, how much I believe in that story. Well, the other part of it that I, I wanted to to kind of mention when you were talking about the story and this kind of harkens back to uh, talking about your collaborators and who you brought on uh, to Deadliest Bouquet. And, and, you know, you mentioned wanting to bring on people who might not have gotten a first look otherwise. Um this very much seems like a diverse and inclusive story when we're talking about forgotten home, and I I, I believe uh, there's a couple things I'll mention. First of all, I think that if you look at a society's fiction, their make believe, the stories they make up and tell, um, it can tell you so much about that society and things they're trying to explore or change or what's important to them. And I think it is so important to have stories like this that do. Get a conversation started by putting these sort of things in the in the story because we're not as far along as we should be. To be to be perfectly honest, we should be, you know, th- things going on, especially in, in this country in the last four or five years. I rem- remember learning about you know civil rights and equality and things like that. Like that happened in the '60s. I thought we were past this. I thought we were better than this. And unfortunately, it seems like maybe we're not as far along as I thought we were. You know, maybe that's my naivete but I I just feel it's so important to tell these types of stories. And I, I feel like you feel the same way. Can you, you know, as we're closing up here, can you kind of address that a little bit?
1: I do. I think that fiction is a, um, is a really good Avenue to tell um, idealized stories. And hopefully people will look at that and say, Hey, you know, this, this is, this is the way things should be. Um, Even though we're dealing with, you know, rock people and magic, and things like that. We're still dealing with the story. Still deals with loss and grief, and racism and um, uh, discrimination based on race and species. Well, in this case, species, but race, basically. Uh, you know, sexual identity, um, and these things are are important because once we start seeing everybody as not being the same, there's not that sort of homogenousness but seeing everyone as another human being that deserves respect and compassion and empathy um, as opposed to you're different than I am you and because you're different, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna look at you a different way kind of thing. Once you start seeing people with you know, compassion and everything I think people's hearts are gonna start to open. I, I would love the world to be way more idealized than it is. Absolutely, but there, you know, there is, a, especially in this country, and and even all over the place, you know, there is a lot of hurt that is continuing, and uh, I think there there needs to really be uh, so many changes, not just on you know a social level, in terms of like you know a um, sort of like social programs, but also on an individual you know, person to person level Um, and people really need to open up and people really need to be um, compassionate toward other people. Um, There's a wealth gap in this, specifically in this country, that is just a chasm um, that needs to be addressed. And, you know, not to get crazy political, but with luck, we will hopefully be moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I agree. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier: empathy. You know, walk walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. It can, uh, it can, it can do wonders. It, it really can. So, uh, yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. So, uh, but n- not to get too heavy <laughs> for all you listeners out there, uh, be sure you you go check out Deadliest Bouquet on uh, on Kickstarter. Go join the uh, social media accounts so you can see those preview pieces of art. You'll know when the book is coming down the line, and you get involved in the campaign you know, ask questions and, um, you know, get excited about this this wonderful project. So a reminder, everybody, it is already fully funded. So, you know, if you bid uh, or if you join the campaign, rather, you're going to uh, for sure get the book. So, uh, Erica, it's been a real pleasure. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit down and talk to us. Ho- hope there weren't too many repetitive <laughs> questions that you've talked about on other podcasts before.
1: I do appreciate you taking the time, Jace. Thank you. Yeah,
0: really appreciate it. And to you listeners, uh, we appreciate you listening as always. Uh, So thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple.